Yahweh had made many promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he blessed the children of Jacob, and they became numerous. He rescued the children of Jacob from Egyptian slavery, led them through the wilderness, conquered Canaan before them. And in this way, Israel would dwell in the land Yahweh had promised their ancestors, and the promises Yahweh made were reckoned as fulfilled in Joshua 21, verses 43-45. through Yahweh would then make promises to David, because Israel was in the land but was beset by enemy oppressors. And Yahweh would raise up judges, and then Saul as king. But only under David ben Jesse would Israel truly find victory and rest. And Yahweh promised to give Israel that victory and rest under David, that David would enjoy great fame, and that David would maintain a perpetual dynastic household. And for 400 years, David's descendants ruled over Judah after him and served Yahweh at the temple his son Solomon built. But what happened to the promises after 586 B.C.? Israel had been exiled to Assyria and few had returned. Judah had been exiled to Babylon. Some Jewish people returned, yet they were ruled over by pagan oppressors. There are more Jewish people living in diaspora than in Israel itself. A second temple had been built. The presence of Yahweh did not dwell within it. What had become of Yahweh's promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David? As Yahweh had made promises and spoken to the ancestors of the Israelites, hope for future redemption and restoration was often promised. That Yahweh had promised Abraham that he would bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's descendant. Moses had promised the Israelites that Yahweh would raise up a prophet like him, and they should listen to him in Deuteronomy 18. Moses, Isaiah, and the other prophets promised a time of restoration for Israel and the house of David in the latter days, in Deuteronomy 30, Isaiah 11, and other passages. Jewish people endured great harassment, persecution, and trials, and they all endured it with the hope and confidence that Yahweh would fulfill these promises of his restoration, and they endured in these things for over 500 years. And then came the powerful moment in which the angels of God pronounced the beginning of the fulfillment of these promises, somewhere around the year 5 B.C. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, the angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah the conception and birth of his son John, who would be the Elijah, who would prepare the way for the return of Yahweh. In Luke 1, 26 to 38, the angel Gabriel announced to Mary the conception and birth of her son Jesus, who would be the son of David and would receive an everlasting kingdom over the house of Jacob. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, the shepherds near Bethlehem saw a multitude of angels, and it was proclaimed to them the birth of Jesus the Savior, the Lord and Christ. In Luke 2, 25 through 35, Simeon would take the baby Jesus into his arms and was able to rest, having seen the Lord's Christ, he who would restore Israel. And then Anna gave thanks to God and spoke of Jesus to all who yearned for the redemption of Jerusalem. Around 35 years later, the disciples of the same Jesus of Nazareth would proclaim how Jesus had fulfilled what Yahweh had promised their ancestors, yet it would not be the way anyone had come to expect from Acts chapter 2 and 3. And thus we do well to consider the promise in Christ. What promises has God already fulfilled in Christ? What promises in Christ have yet to find their fulfillment? And how can we have confidence that God would in fact fulfill those final promises and that the Lord Jesus Christ will return? In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus says in the resurrection, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And in this way, the apostles would proclaim to their generation that which they saw and experienced regarding Jesus of Nazareth's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and lordship. And their testimony has been preserved for us ever since. In Jesus' life, his death, resurrection, ascension, lordship, and his imminent return, all that God had promised Israel had found its fulfillment. Jesus himself had said in Matthew 5 and verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. Because Israel had experienced a flight to Egypt, time in the wilderness, time in the land in exile. Jesus experienced a flight to Egypt, time in the wilderness, time in the land, exile and death, and was raised again in power, and thus brought the story of Israel to its fulfillment. Jesus was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He learned obedience through what he suffered in Hebrews 4.15 and 5.7-8. In his life, Jesus established justice, mercy, and righteousness, and he proclaimed the good news of liberation to the poor, as it had been prophesied in Isaiah 1, 61, Jimmy, in Luke 4. By offering himself on the cross, Jesus atoned for all sin. And in this way, Jesus is the new Adam, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, as prophesied in Psalm 110 and seen in Romans 5 and Hebrews 9. By rising from the dead, he overcame sin and death, and he provided the means of a new exodus, deliverance from the slavery to sin and death, as exemplified in Romans 6. And in his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus died to sin and death to die no more. And this is the way he could stand before the Ancient of Days and receive an eternal dominion that would have no end, as prophesied in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Now, from the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel, Jewish people from across the diaspora heard the mighty works of God in Christ, as we can see in Acts chapter 2. And it was spread throughout the whole known world, as Paul would confess in Colossians 1 and verse 6. And thus Jesus, in his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and lordship, has fulfilled the law. He offered himself as the way for all who would follow after him. He is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, continually ministering before the Father. He is the Son of David and Son of God, the Son of Man, reigning over an eternal kingdom. Israelites were ingathered through the proclamation of all that he accomplished. Yet that was not all, for as Paul would testify in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility which he nullified in his flesh, the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by which the hostility has been killed. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And thus Paul testified how Jesus provided salvation and kingdom for Israel according to the flesh, but his death, resurrection, ascension, and lordship had implications beyond Israel. That by fulfilling that law, as we just saw that he did, Jesus could inaugurate a new covenant which would be with Israel and Judah, but also with all mankind. That as the prophets had prophesied, as in Acts chapter 9, all the nations would come to Yahweh by means of Jesus the Christ. That indeed Jesus was the descendant of Abraham who would provide blessings to the nations. The sent from Abraham is now regarded not by genetics, but by sharing in the faith of Abraham. And those who share in Abraham's faith share in the promised inheritance in Abraham, according to Romans 4 and Galatians 3. And thus the olive tree of Israel, 
as Paul will use in a metaphor in Romans 11, contains those quote-unquote natural branches which remained faithful, along with the quote-unquote wild branches of the Gentiles grafted in. And thus the Israel of God are those who are found faithful in Jesus, as exemplified in Galatians 6.16 and 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Men and women, Jewish and Gentile, free or slave, civilized or barbarian, all can come to faith in God and Christ, can drink of the one spirit, and find reconciliation and salvation in him, according to Galatians 3.28 and in Colossians 3.11. And thus John can testify in Revelation 1, 5 and 6, that from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood and has appointed us as a kingdom, as priests serving God and fa- his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That Jesus has all power and authority over all the nations of the earth and the powers in the heavens. Matthew 28, 18-20. And so in Jesus we can find redemption from sin and reconciliation with God. We can share in eternal life and have spiritual regeneration now, as can be seen in John 14 and Romans 6. That God has already made us a kingdom in Jesus in Colossians 1, 13 that we now live under his rule and authority and ought to seek to glorify him in all that we do, jointly participate in life in Christ together, that we are all priests of Jesus serving God our Father, that our lives are to be spiritual sacrifices and service, proclaiming and embodying Jesus in all we think, feel, and do in Romans 12, and that God has given his people the promised Holy Spirit, as testified in Joel 2, Acts 2, and Ephesians 1, 13. These are all the things that Jesus has already done to fulfill the promise of God in Christ. And yet, as Paul testifies in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. So yes, Jesus has accomplished much of the promise in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and lordship, yet the fullness of all things await fulfillment in his return. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, Paul will tell us that each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be eliminated is death. There are a lot of people who profess Jesus who have imagined all kinds of fantastic stories and scenarios about how the Lord Jesus will return. Most of these imaginations require some kind of physical, concrete fulfillment of promises that have already been satisfied by what God has already accomplished in Jesus. If we want to know exactly when that day is going to be, we are going to be frustrated because he will return as a thief in the night in 1 Thessalonians 5, and Jesus will return in judgment to finally overcome death fully in the resurrection. So we see Matthew 25 here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And on that day, it's not a long, prolonged series of events, it's a day, the faithful people of God will obtain the resurrection of life. Their hope will be realized and will no longer need to exist at all. And the fullness of salvation and joint participation Christ will be manifest. And thus, all that remains to find as fulfillment is Jesus' return and the consummation of all things on that day of resurrection. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, Peter wanted people to know, Above all, understand this, in the last days blatant scoffers will come, 
being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, Where is his promised return? Ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. And what Peter imagined has certainly come to pass, because it has been almost 2,000 years since Jesus lived, died, and was raised and ascended to the Father. The amount of time between Abraham and Jesus is now about the same amount of time between us and Jesus. And where is his promise returned? How can we maintain hope and trust in the promises in Christ that indeed God will fulfill them and that Jesus will indeed return? Peter continues, For they deliberately suppress this fact, that by the word of God heavens existed long ago and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. Through these things the world existing at that time was destroyed when it was deluged with water. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, dear friends, do not let one thing escape your notice, that a thing, single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years as a single day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, in some regards slowness, but is being patient towards you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so Peter made appeal to the judgment of God in the days of Noah. He considered the flood as the destruction of the heavens and earth as it then existed. And he understands the present heavens and earth as reserved for fire. And no doubt in the days of Noah, everything was normal until it wasn't anymore. And so it will be on the day of the Lord's return. So Peter then made appeal to Moses in Psalm 90, that time is irrelevant to God. And what we have perceived as 2,000 years could be reckoned as like two days before God. That God is not slow or tardy or delayed, that he continues to have his purpose in mind in Jesus, that he desires to be satisfied as much as he did 2,000 years ago, as we can see in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. That God is being patient instead. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance and to find life in Jesus. So we can also see in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Now, what if the Lord Jesus had returned the day before you turned to him in faith? What if today is that day for somebody else? So Romans chapter 8. Verse 23, Paul says, Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. And later in chapter 8, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, who is the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. And as Peter testifies in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are being protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, and so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because in the end, there's no escaping it. It requires trust and fortitude to remain the hope of fulfillment of the promised return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
However, God has given us every reason to maintain that confidence and strength. God has made promises to Abraham, and he proved faithful to them. God made promises to David, and he proved faithful to them. God made promises to Israel, and he proved faithful to them. Jesus has already accomplished the greater and more challenging matters. He died for us. He was raised in power. Why would we imagine God would have proven faithful in almost everything, but then prove faithless in terms of that one final thing which was promised? And so indeed, as the end of the witness of scriptures declares, the one who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It is our hope and prayer that you share in the promise with us, and we love to be of any kind of encouragement we can to you. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we've discussed here in terms of the promise in Christ, please let us know, and uh, let us know in the comments, and subscribe to us where you found us. I'm Ethan. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We are a non-denominational church of Christians in Los Angeles. We'd love to be of encouragement and service to you. If we can pray for you, if you would like to study the Bible with us, to participate in the Bible Correspondence Course, to uh, come and meet with us if you'd like. Uh, please let us know. Uh, you can find us at VenturechurchChrist.org. You can also find us throughout social media at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you, and may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.